where we were two weeks ago. We looked at the day of the Lord, which concluded this um, section of chapters two through four, which focused on that coming day of the Lord, uh, a day which simultaneously brings judgment upon the proud and redemption for God's chosen remnant, whom he has washed clean from all their filthiness. Um, multiple times in chapters one through four, we've seen how Isaiah, and this is going to be the typical pattern, intermixes those words of judgment with words of salvation, um, uh, giving us glorious pictures of hope, even when um, he's bringing a message of God's wrath for present sinfulness. Um, today's passage is a little bleaker, uh, just go ahead and warn you. Um, he doesn't give us that explicit word of hope here. Um, but uh, as Christians, I suggest we'll still find a word of hope, especially because of the specific imagery he uses. Um, the main image that he deploys in chapter 5 is this picture of the Lord's vineyard. Um, and we're going to uh, talk a little bit about how that imagery is picked up uh, in the New Testament and how um, it points to Christ, our true vine. Um, but so there's hope, but hope cannot annihilate the effects of present sin, somehow removing people from its responsibility. Um, I'll read the entirety of the passage, but just to let you know, um, I'm kind of looking at it in three parts. So the first part is this song, the song of the vineyard, uh, verses 1 through 7, which is followed by a more detailed description of the bitter fruit produced by the tribe of Judah. So um, uh, we'll see how he gets to sort of specific uh, sins of the people that leads to this judgment. And then the final section is this announcement um, of the coming of the destruction at the hands of these Gentile armies, verses 26 through 30. All right, so that's enough introduction. Uh, hear now the word of God as we find it in Isaiah chapter 5, um, starting in verse 1, and I'll read all 30 verses. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Uh, the word wild there is literally stink, <laughs> so stink grapes. Um, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield stink grapes or wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. 
The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry. Their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and he who exults in her. Man is humbled and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let them be quick, let them speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as the dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses were his refuse in the midst of their streets. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. He will raise a signal for the nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their horses' hooves seem like flint, their wheels like the whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion, like young lions they roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off, and none can rescue. They will growl over it on that day like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress, and the light is darkened by its clouds. Thus far, God's word, let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we thank you for this word you bring to us, that as you show... Um, how your people, um, who you have uh, entrusted with the gospel, can um, not produce fruit in their lives. 
and we can think of the many ways uh, we're unfruitful, that we are not bearing fruit in keeping with the repentance that you have granted to us. Lord God, as we think of these words of judgment uh, that Isaiah pronounced upon Judah, uh, we too uh, see ourselves condemned. But we also see in these words uh, the hope, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, the true vine, that as long as we reside in him, he will produce fruit in us. As long as we nourish that connection that we as uh, your pleasant branches will bear fruit in our lives. So this morning, as we look at these words of judgment, uh, help us run and embrace Christ, that in him only can we find justice and righteousness. And it's only through his work in us that our lives uh, can produce holiness and righteousness, the pleasing fruit that you seek for your people. Uh, please be with those who um, are out in the, the storm. Uh, give them safety. Uh, give those who are still at home wisdom as to whether they can come out or not. But uh, in all our circumstances, help us to look to you with faith and trust and hope. Uh, instruct us now in this coming hour, we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, my first question is the question I've been trying to answer for the last two weeks, so maybe you can help me. Why a love song? Why frame this particular prophecy in the guise of a poetic allegory about a vineyard that he describes as a love song? Alicia. Yeah, and notice how in the song, um, it is, I mean, how much of the song is focused on the work of the beloved, uh, of the beloved um, vineyard owner here. You know, he hasn't just picked any site, he's chosen a fertile hill, and whatever stones, whatever impediments are on that hill, he removes. You know, he doesn't just plant, you know, any kind of grapes there, he plants the choicest varieties, you know. He builds a watchtower. He builds a press. He does, you know, all the work, um, and it's all glorious work, you know, and sort of think about when he's applying it with this justice and righteousness. Again, he's given the law, the commandments. Um, he's shown them what it's not they're left to figure out what justice and righteousness is. You know, he's given them the explicit good things set before them, um, and yet, you know, when he's looking to see what the vineyard's producing, stink grapes. Um, yeah, Mark. 
yeah, and notice how, I mean, again, uh, he sets them up, you know, to sort of uh, think, you know, it's a love song. He starts off with all this glorious work of the, the beloved and, you know, all the work the beloved did in the vineyard. And you could see everybody, you know, in this, uh, you know, agricultural community probably like nodding along. Yeah. And then, you know, it gets to that point, you know, where he asks that question in verse four, what more? was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it. You know, when I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? But that question, you know, what more could I have done? You know, you could hear, almost imagine hearing his audience be like, nothing. <laughs> you know, you did everything you could. Um, and so it's the way um, he sucks the audience in. Um, uh, you know, just... Uh, I think this, is a, this passage is a lot like um, Nathan when he comes to David, you know, and he tells the story of the guy with the sheep, and, you know, he, he riles up David's indignation, and then he slaps down, you're the man. And you can almost see Isaiah doing a similar thing here. You know, he's singing this song, he's sucking the people in, um, you know, he asked for that kind of response in the middle, and they're like, there's nothing the vineyard owner could do. And then he points the finger and says, you're the vines that are not producing fruit. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's the way that he, you know, he hooks them. <laughs> uh, it's this great uh, picture to, to grab uh, Israel's attention, Judah's attention in and, and listen and be, you know, raise up their sense of righteousness and then say, you're the people, you know, who have produced stink grapes. <laughs> Good. Other reasons? Do you think why a love song? Yeah, to, again, in that, that, um, that beloved, you know, and it, notice how um, Isaiah's addressing God with that language, you know. Um, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard. So he's setting it up like this is, this is someone, uh, you know, I'm betrothed to, I'm married to, I'm in relation, loving relationship with. So Isaiah, uh, starting off, is sort of cluing them in that this is someone who, who they're supposed to have a very significant relationship with. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, um, I, I, I'm having a hard time not just like going through every little literary detail because I, I think this is one of the greatest things ever written. I mean, it's just, it's the, it's just so, so, um, the poetry of it's so done, the language of it. So I'm trying to suppress my urge to, to be a literary scholar and focus on theology. Um, but why does the vineyard suffer such a harsh punishment? Um, so just as, uh, as Alicia, you know, pointed out, you know, when it's focused on the, the beloved vineyard owner, it's a beautiful picture. When it turns to what happens to the vineyard subsequently, 
why does that, um, why is that punishment so harsh? <laughs> yeah, again, the fruit. Um, uh, this, this idea of, of, you know, wild grapes or it's all the, the uh, adjective only shows up once. So it's related to the word for stink. So that's why I'm saying stink. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's all about the fruit. You know, think about it. What good is a vineyard um, if it has not, if it's not producing? You know, what is a vineyard for? Um, you know, and, you know, the first half, you know, all this labor that he's put into it. Um, but there is no fruitfulness. Um, you know, there, there is no, um, there's no product. You know, he, he's looking for results, and there are none. <laughs> uh, the results are, um, are bitter. Why else do you think the vineyard? Yeah, Mark. Yeah, and it's the complete, they're producing the complete opposites. You know, the, the verse later on where it's like, they're calling what's sweet, bitter. And what's bitter, sweet. So it's the, it's, it's the way that, you know, just as you're saying, the wild grapes aren't just, okay, maybe they're just not as good. No, they're the complete opposite of what's intended. And as sweet of a grapes as the vineyard owner looked for, you know, bitter is the fruit, you know, the complete, you know, he's looking for the sweetest of grapes and he's getting the most bitter fruit uh, he could. Bill, you had your hand up. Yeah, as we get into the second half of the, the chapter, again, the second half of the chapter or this kind of middle part, um, uh, verses around uh, 8 to 25, focus specifically on what the fruit is. And there are all these, um, all these links back. So just as, as Mark pointed out, you know, these links that, you know, they've rejected the law of the Lord and they've accepted some other standard that actually inverts the sense of justice and righteousness to complete opposites. You know, rather than laboring, um, uh, rather than toiling for, uh, you know, to produce fruit, they are in this kind of wholehearted pursuit of, of leisure and pleasure. So there are going to be all these kinds of links back to the, to the vineyard analogy. Um, and notice, uh, again, it's the way it's beautiful. Um, most of your Bibles will probably put a little note there that, that uh, he, at the end, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Those, they 
well, they rhyme, both rhyme, but they're also only one letter apart. So again, sort of like, uh, to go back with what Mark was saying, you know, it's, they're producing something that from an outward perspective, you know, if you weren't looking closely, maybe could pass for fruit. But when you look, it's the complete opposite. So in met, instead of mishpat, justice, they produce mishpa, bloodshed. Instead of zadaka, righteousness, they produce zaka, an outcry, a crying out. Um, so it's this, uh, um, this sense of the fruit they're producing is the opposite uh, of what God intended. Um, the fruit of God's labor is not the justice and righteousness he had worked for, but instead oppression and violence. Those who experienced God's holiness and the righteousness of the law should have been expected to demonstrate justice and righteousness in their lives, uh, but instead um, they're producing bloodshed and an outcry. Um, so let's uh, get into uh, specifically what are some of the sins um, Israel, or Judah in this case, is committing. So let's look at the, the bitter fruit. So in verses um, 8 through 25, uh, he identifies six times he uses the word um, woe, and usually they're followed by therefores. So you get a woe, and then you get a subsequent uh, therefore, sort of relating um, what, they, what they were doing, woe on what they were doing, and then therefore they receive a certain punishment um, that God, um, uh, a certain punishment that God's going to inflict on them that's usually tied in some way to the crime. So it's the way the punishment mirrors the crime uh, in these cases. So what are some of the specific sinful things that the people have done, that the prophet singles out uh, as worthy of woe. You know, to say that they've produced bloodshed and an outcry, well, that's a nice big kind of general thing. What specific kinds of things is, are happening in the nation that are producing uh, unrighteousness and injustice? Yeah, and notice the, the picture, they're doing it um, to the extent that other people can't dwell in the land, that, you know, you, and you're made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. And, and again, maybe um, this is still a little of our case, but, but especially in an agricultural society, having access to land is having access to life. Um, and so if one person is producing a monopoly of land ownership. They are depriving other people of the access to life. So yeah, so not only is it this, um, this acquisitiveness, um, which in itself, uh, you know, we think about the New Testament pa passage where the guy said, well, tonight I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns and that kind of, you know, I'm gonna lay up possessions for myself. So we know that part of it's wrong, but then, um, it's the idea that it's shutting out other people. Um, good. And, and this is, I mean, you think we know this is happening in, in really fertile places in Judah and Israel. You know, think about um, uh, 
uh, Ahab, you know, seizing his neighbor's vineyard, um, the same for a vegetable garden, you know, which you know, yeah, makes no sense. You know, it's it's taking something that's producing a livelihood for one Israelite, and it's doing something just for kind of a a whim for Ahab, you know, so he can have a bigger house with fancier gardens, and um, it's that kind of acquisitive, um, depriving lifestyle. I loved how um, uh, John Chrysostom um, uh, said, the covetous, if they could, would willingly take even the sun from the poor. You know, and I think that's a, a great way to, to think about, you know, the attitude of the heart. So it's the actions, but the actions are, you know, the fruit of the attitude of their heart. You know, this multiplication of one's land ownings to the deprivation of others, denying them access to the land. You know, it, it's coming out of that, that um, covetous heart. And notice how the punishment again, fits the crime that, you know, for all this land that they have, it's going to, you know, the judgment, it's going to produce next to nothing. Um, for 10 acres of vineyard, or the amount that 10 sets of oxen could plow in a day, is only going to produce about six gallons of wine. So, you know, 10 acres, or, you know, think of 10 oxen, Ten yoke of oxen out plowing for a day, how much land that is, yet all that land is going to produce a pittance. Or a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. So that's a tenth. You know, you plant a hundred percent seed and you're getting ten percent return. So instead of the seed multiplying and producing, you know, threefold, tenfold, you know, a manifold harvest, you're getting a fraction even of what you went out and planted. So the, you know, they're laying up treasures for themselves and multiplying this land, and the punishment is that land that they've acquired is going to yield nothing. Good. What other sins do you see? Yeah, and it's, again, it's the, um, it's tanking, um, he's not just dealing with the, the surface issue, you know, you know, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. So, it, you know, so it's their drunkenness, this kind of constant living to, to consume. Um, so he's, he's opposing that. But, it's, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of their hands. It's like they're having a, a, you know, an all-the-time party. And it's as Isaiah is saying, well, party in itself isn't bad, but you know, if you're having a festival to celebrate the work of the God, work of the God if you're um, acknowledging what the Lord's done for you that's brought you this wealth, that allows you to, to live this kind of way, but no, you know, it's sort of the, the drunkenness is the expression of this heart 
that has no knowledge of what God has done for them, uh, no acknowledgement of the graciousness of God toward them. Yeah, rather than, as Bill said, getting up to pursue labor, uh, to pursue things that are pleasing to God, they're rising early to pursue pleasure for themselves, what's pleasing in their own eyes. Uh, and this, you know, they're investing everything in a selfish, hedonistic lifestyle, um, rather than, you know, again, thinking about others, uh, to think about, um, what God has called them to do, that he's called them to, you know, um, produce fruit. So rather than work to produce fruit, rising early to do the things of the Lord, as you say, um, they're rising early just for themselves. And notice, again, how the punishment fits the crime um, again. So, um, therefore, in, in verse 13, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry. Their multitude is parched with thirst. So they had, you know, were rising early and putting all their attention into food and drink and pleasure, and they're going to get starvation. And in verse 14, again, the, the irony, these people who have such enormous appetites find that death, that Sheol, has an even bigger appetite, <laughs> you know, that these consumers themselves are going to be consumed. Um, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond leisure, measure, and the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and he who exults in her. So again, you know, these people who have put everything into their self-seeking life of, of leisure, everything to feed their own appetites are going to meet death and find that death and judgment has an even greater appetite than they do, which is saying a lot. All right, good. Other sins? So we've got, um, oops, where's my little list? What did I do with it? So the first eight and ten, the covetous greed of the people. 
uh, 11 and 7 through 17, uh, the debauched consumption of the people is being singled out. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it's, it's not just, um, you know, because he's going to hit knowledge of right and wrong later on. And here it seems to be, I think you're absolutely right, the way it's going back to the vineyard song. It's this knowledge of, of what God, not seeing God at work at all, you know, not acknowledging. And again, to sort of think um, how fitting this is for our culture where it's people's wealth and leisure and their kind of easy material circumstances that makes it very easy for them to deny the existence of God. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they don't see uh, God having done anything for them. Um, they don't see that, that, that the material things that they have are gifts. Other sins? So we've hit two of the six. So we've got, again, covetous greed, Debauched consumption. What are they? Look for the woes. That's the, the keys. Yeah, you're absolutely, uh, you know, you said it exactly the way I wrote it. Did, were you peeking at my notes? The moral code is reversed. Um, sin becomes an accepted way of life. Uh, it's not just merely a failure to rise to the best. It's the ultimate perversion of the good. So it's not just, you know, they're falling short. And, you know, um, and we can have that definition of sin, like the root in Hebrew is, you know, miss the mark. You know, so someone who's, you know, it's like the idea of somebody's, I'm hurling a stone at Chris and I'm missing, you know, I've sinned, you know, and he, that's a use for the word, for the root of the word sin. I've missed the mark. So we can sort of think of it that, sort of falling short what we're called to do. But Jerry's absolutely right. You know, sin involves more than that. Um, it's this uh, inversion of, of what God has created uh, the code that God has in, in, uh, called us to, and darkness, no, that's light, bitter, no, that's sweet. Um, you know, all the things that uh, are supposed to be off limits to us, those are the things they are turning their attention to, saying these are the highest of values. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that's so, again, I, one of the reasons I love this chapter is it just, it's so relevant. I think, to where our culture is, um, where it calls things, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, oh, isn't it so good that abortion is the law of the land, um, you know, that women have this right, and no, <laughs> actually, I don't think that's so good, um, you know, but we're coming with complete opposite um, 
approaches to this action where one group in, in the culture is, is calling it good and another group, me, <laughs> following the law of God, is calling it evil. <laughs> you know, what God has made to be good has been turned into evil. And what God has said is evil, our culture is, is calling good. Good. All right, so we've hit, so what did I label that one? Um, the truth perverting morality of the people. Um, or truth inverting morality of the people. All right, so we've got three of the six, three more. I usually don't do the play, guess what's in the teacher's head, but this is in the text, so yeah, Jerry. Yeah, it's this um, pursuit of a set of standards um, that that's self-made, and it, it's so yeah, and it's so self-referential. You know what? Just as you said, you know they pursue what's good in their eyes. You know, we you know um, it, it's all self-defined rather than um, submitting to some outward standard. You know, what do I want? What am I going to pursue? Good. All right. What else? What else is woe pronounced upon? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong Greek drink. Um, again, so it seems like it's it's addressing. Uh, the drunkenness again, and it is, but notice how, how it keeps going. Who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. So, you know, to think heroes, valiant men, these are the people who are supposed to be leaders. And they're not heroes on the battlefield. They're not valiant men because they're out doing, you know, protecting the nation. They're doing deeds of valor. No, they're sitting around getting drunk, and instead of dispensing justice, dispensing righteousness, they're quitting the guilty for a bribe. They're depriving the innocent of his right. You know, they're playing favorites. Um, they're not looking for the righteousness of the case. They're these, um, these, these leaders who, again, who've um, taken, um, uh, taken justice and, and perverted it for their own pleasure, for their own use. Um, you know, they, they're not using their public position to aid themselves. They're using it to line their own pockets so they can get drunk. They're not out leading the people on the battlefield. You know, they're staying home and they're pretty brave at home. <laughs> um, okay, so good. So we've got the covetous greed of the people, debauched consumption, um, truth perverting morality, uh, a people wise in their own eyes, and a justice perverting people. So there's one more. I'll go ahead and do it. Um, verses 18 and 19. Um, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, 
who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know of it. So it's this, um, it's mocking, um, you know, that, uh, that those phrases there, they're, they're sinning with a high hand with a, and not out of mistake or ignorance, you know. They're drawing sin as with cart ropes, <laughs> you know, so it's the idea that, you know, it's not like, oh, oops, I fell into sin. There's like, you know, let's go, here's the sin, let's tie it up, <laughs> let's drag it back home. So it's this willful pursuit of sin. And then um, when, when Isaiah calls them to account for it, they mock, you know, let them be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near. Let it come that we may know it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll do what I want. If God wants to judge me, let's see it. Come on, Isaiah. You said it's coming quickly. Bring it on. You know, and again, think of how often that, you know, we see it in the New Testament. Show us a miracle. If you're the Son of God, do this. Um, show us a sign. You know, it's this uh, mocking belief. He saved others. Let him come down from the cross. Let's see if he can save himself. Um, that mocking unbelief um, and denying, again, this idea that God can call them to account for their sinfulness. And instead, you know, they're wholehearted bracing, embracing sin and at the same time, you know, thumbing their, their noses at God. Um, so it's that, how did I, my summary, the willful mocking unbelief of the people. Um, so what a picture he gives us of the nation here. Covetous greed, debauched consumption, willful mocking unbelief, truth-perverting morality, uh, self-wisdom, justice-perverting. Um, this is the catalog of fruit that this vineyard of the Lord has produced. Um, you know, what a picture Isaiah has painted for us. All right, um, so we've got a little bit left. So uh, let's look now at this final section. All right, so um, and here we're getting to the instruments of the vineyard's desolation. Uh, and notice how back in the vineyard song, you know, I will remove its hedge, I will break down its... I will remove its hedge, it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. Notice the switch in the subjects there. The first one is, I will remove, I will break down. And then the next are passive, you know, it shall be devoured, it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste, it shall not be pruned or honed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. So it's this idea that all these things that God has put into place to protect the vineyard are now going to be removed. Um, you know, it's all those things that have protected the vines, they're all gonna be pulled back. And so in verses um, 26 through 30, we see uh, this call to the nations. So what strikes you in these last um, five verses? Uh, what does God command the nations to do and how does he equip them for such a work? So what does he 
He's, he's, I, I love this. He raises a signal. Hey, guys, over here. Whistle, I can't whistle. I'd whistle if I could. But, you know, he whistles for them. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> yeah, look how he gives them the strength. You know, and again, the irony. You know, earlier they said, let him speed his work that we may see it. And in verse 26, behold, quickly, speedily they come. You know, that kind of double emphasis. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Um, so he's, he's not only signaling them to come, but he's, he's giving them strength to, to, do, to come in unwearingly. Um, not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. You know, their equipment, you know, is going to normally would fail. Nope, not this time. You know, you hear about all kinds of battles where, you know, the battle turned because, you know, some piece of equipment failed. You know, sort of, nope, and this, that's removed. <laughs> you know, it, Israel's not going to be saved because uh, their chariots get bogged down. Their arrows are sharp. Their bows are bent. Their horses' hooves seem like flint. Their wheels are like a whirlwind. You know, it's not only that God has, has removed the hedge, um, but he's bringing in the briars and thistles. Um, Matthew uh, put me on to this uh, idea earlier this week that when Isaiah uses um, briars and thistles, um, he often connects it to the nations that are coming in among Israel. So, the, you know, he'll continue to use this vine imagery and the briars and thistles that are coming in and laying the, uh, the vineyard into a wasteland that's bringing this desolation, those are the nations you know, coming in and laying this vineyard to waste. Well, that's cheery. <laughs> um, yeah, so here is the, the idea that the, um, they come quickly but also insistently those who mocked Isaiah asked God to hurry his work, and now Isaiah assures them God's plan is coming to sudden fruition, more sudden than they can imagine. Uh, for Isaiah, at that point, it was not so important to specify who the destroyers would be as it was to indicate the imminent, irresistible, and wholly to be expected nature of what lay ahead. Um, oof. There are outsiders in this. Yeah, and we're going to see that theme throughout. Like later, he's going to, as Isaiah is going to address specific prophecies to some of these nations, and he's going to, you know, build on exactly that theme. Don't, now don't think <laughs> that God's esteeming you. He, you're just a tool. You know, you're just the dog he released on these people. Um, and yours is coming too. <laughs> you know, he, and you're absolutely right. It's the way that he's, he's, you know, painting God as sovereign here. And one of his big themes in dealing with these nations that God has, you know, like a dog. You're, I mean, that, you're absolutely right. You know, he's whistled for them and here they come. But 
Um, it's, he's not doing it because he values them more than Israel. No, he's using them to bring judgment upon his nation. And just as he's sovereign and controlling them and, and you know, and, and pulling the strings of history, so he's going to be sovereign and bringing judgment upon them for the way he treats, for, they, for the way they treated his people. So again, they're not getting a free pass for the, the violence they're going to unleash, but God is sovereignly in control of it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that, that forward. And again, to sort of think, you know, through all of this and where we start deriving hope from this passage is the picture of God that it gives us. You know, if, it's ju- if we're just looking at the people and the fruit they're producing or not producing, um, you know, not only are they not producing good fruit, you know, they're producing this bitter, uh, um, this bitter, awful uh, fruit. Instead of producing righteousness, they're producing an outcry. Instead of producing justice, um, they're producing bloodshed. Um, but God, you know, notice how the contrast, um, I've got to walk back to my Bible here because I want to, I don't quite have it memorized. But verse 16, the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice. The holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Justice and righteousness are not to be found in the land at this moment, but they are to be found in God. Um, uh, the people think they're empowered, but no, it, it's, uh, um, it's, as Cindy says, the power of God <laughs> um, is, is controlling all of this. And I want us to end... Um, in the New Testament, I don't do this often, but I'm going to do it today because um, I usually like to stay within the passage. But um, this one, uh, uh, turn to John chapter 15. And if you've got a pew Bible, I think the page numbers are the same as my Bible. It's about 901. So listen to Jesus' words. This is the last uh, in John's gospel of these series of I am sayings that Jesus has been putting forward. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Does that sound familiar? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Does that sound familiar? Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So there is the hope <laughs> amidst the destruction of the vineyard. Um, as we think about Isaiah's song of the vineyard, let us uh, sing the song of the true vine and ask that we might abide in him. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we give you glory this day, for you, Lord God, are sovereign over all things, even this uh, snow that falls and impedes our travel today, that makes us slip and slide around. We know it is just um, something that you bring forward. Lord God, we know um, as we read this litany of sins in the people of Judah, we know that we too so often um, pursue our own pleasure. Uh, we seek after our own sinful lifestyles, that we seek to add up our own treasures. We know how often uh, we pervert your justice and we call what is evil good, or we turn a blind eye to our sin because it's inconvenient uh, to acknowledge it. But Lord God, uh, as people whom you've called, as people to whom you've granted repentance, help us to abide in you. That Jesus is the one who bears choice fruit, and he bears that choice fruit through us. Help us to be a people who abide in you, who seek your commandments to follow them, not to, um, not to, to plant uh, goodness in ourselves, but as the fruit of that goodness you've planted in us. Help us to uh, live uh, as a redeemed people who produce fruit that others can taste and see and know that you, Lord God, alone are good, and from you come all things that are good. Help us now to have that sense of awe and glory as in the coming hour we worship you. And we ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might give uh, the gospel of Christ the praise and glory, and that joy that we have in you will bear fruit in our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.